Welcome to Hemp Foundation Talks, where we listen to the heartbeats of the hemp industry and learn the celebrations challenges of hemp leaders and advocates from around the world. I'm Rebecca, International Business Officer with Hemp Foundation and your host. Today's guest, we have Robert Ziner. Robert Ziner is the CEO of Canadian Industrial Hemp Cooperation, the company. He founded CIHC in 2016 after being sent to China by the Canadian Alberta government to determine if AI could be effective in building a viable and thriving hemp fiber industry in that province. Robert has a 30-year history in AI and advanced manufacturing technologies as they relate to natural fibers. He was in the lumber industry since 1974 and in 1987 partnered with General Electric's factory automation group to develop an AI-driven computer-integrated manufacturing application for secondary wood processing which was patented in 1991. This technology redefined the economics of secondary wood processing, increasing production flexibility and consistency to help reduce production costs by over 50% and increasing value add by over 100%. After building a new facility in 1997, sales increased from 37 million a year to 240 million by 20, 2001. CIHC's proprietary smart stock system is now globally patent pending. It redefines the economics of hemp stock processing by transforming it into hemp fiber optimization and includes the world's first automated hemp fiber quality control system. Robert is a recognized expert in fiber processing, optimization, softwood lumber, and hemp. Robert believes in the power of cyber physical engineering structures and systems, recognizing that innovation is always first created in the imagination's virtual world to then be translated into existence. Hey, Robert, welcome to Hemp Foundation Talks. It's so exciting to have you here. I know that you have been just such a wealth of information. I think I even started following you a couple years ago. And you know the things that you're doing in the hemp industry to help move things along is really honorable and appreciate your work. And thank you for taking time to join us today. And please, um, you know, let's start off with sharing a little bit more about you and why did you get into this industry in the first place and um, your journey along the way. Well, thank you, Rebecca. It's a pleasure being here and having the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, I've enjoyed our previous discussions, and I'm very happy to speak with your audience today. Uh, I got involved in the hemp industry, uh, I guess one could say, when I was uh, going back to school to do my MBA uh, in 2001. In, uh, we had some courses where we had to pick uh, a new industry. Uh, either in terms or an in industry. One of them was to pick a new industry and the other one was to do a, uh, uh, a research on, on a government um, interaction with a specific problem in the industry. Uh, hemp had just become legal in Canada in 1998. This was 2001, just a few years later. I had read a few things along the way that I thought were interesting. My background was in the wood processing and building materials industry. And what happened was that uh, I had the opportunity to 
use the hemp industry, therefore, in, in my two projects. And one of the first things that I read was that uh, the hemp fiber, the bast fiber, was stronger uh, by a factor of 10 compared to Douglas fir, uh, mm. the, the tree, which here in Canada was always regarded as like the strongest structural fiber to be used in building. Wow. So when I heard that hemp fiber was 10 times as strong, I was, I was really hooked. Uh, I had spent about 20 years of my professional career uh, focused on advanced manufacturing technology for secondary wood processing. In fact, uh, I had developed the technology in partnership with General Electric Factory Automation back in the very late 1980s, early 1990s, which was a pretty early point for uh, AI-focused manufacturing to right. have surfaced. And, um, you know, I just became very much uh, attuned to the opportunity that full computer integration, as they called it then, integrated manufacturing, um, provided in terms of processing flexibility and value-added creation. Mm -hmm. So uh, I patented the technology in 1991. And uh, in 1995, we started to build a new facility for our operations. Uh, in 1996, late 96, we finished. So in 1997, as we started to introduce our new technology, our sales were about $37 million a year. Uh, by 2001, our sales had grown to $240 million in sales a year. So one of the things that I learned at that point was that if you're a low-cost, high-quality, flexible manufacturer of what are essentially commodity products, mm -hmm. you're going to dominate your market. Mm -hmm. So as it happened, when I was working on the uh, previous technology for the wood processing, I had uh, a, a strategic partnership with the government of Alberta through the Alberta Research Center. And at that time, you know, they were providing me with a lot of the historical data on the um, uh, lumber mill prices uh, going back to the, uh, I guess at that point, we're going back 10 years. And there was a young man who I worked with. Uh, he was quite uh, pleasant and I enjoyed working with him. And he was very much into this idea that I was focused on in terms of utilization and uh, you know, maximizing the, the value of the natural resources that we extract. Uh -huh. And uh, you know, we, we worked together for, I guess, about six months. Um, it was very friendly, and then we said goodbye. Uh, out of nowhere in October 2016, I got a call from this gentleman. He had graduated from being a junior bureaucrat to being a senior bureaucrat. Um, from the time hemp had become legal in Canada, the province of Alberta had been, uh, which is a very large prairie-based type uh, farming um, uh, province, uh -huh. uh, they, were, they were very interested in seeing the hemp industry grow. And there was a very strong interest from right from the beginning to see hemp grown for fiber. Mm -hmm. The fantasy was for textiles. Mm -hmm. Well, between 19... 98 and 2016 when I got the call there had been two small decortication operations uh, started and a third one which was uh, opened by the government of Alberta as a 
research facility, a hemp research facility. And that was located about one hour drive away from Edmonton, the capital of Alberta, mm-hmm. uh, in the same town where the Alberta government had their or has their agricultural research center. So, um, you know, I was, uh, I was very interested in um, you know, going to China, they, they invited me to go to China um, as their guest to look at the decortication industry. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, I'm sorry, the thing I, I meant to say was the two small decortication operations by 2016 had gone bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And all that was left was this small research facility. So the government wanted to know why, in fact, uh, what it would take for the, uh, the uh, hemp decortication industry to thrive. And this fellow, you know, remembering my background in the uh, computer-driven and the AI uh, operations, he contacted me asking me if I would like to go to China to a conference that they were putting on um, in the Hiliang province, which is the northeastern part of China. Uh, and this particular province in China has a very close long relationship with the province of Alberta. Interestingly, 65% of the um, dairy cow bloodline in China comes from Alberta, Canada. Oh, wow. So in any case, uh, as a courtesy, they invited them and I was able to go. And what I saw was very, very inspiring because the people really appreciated uh, the, the value, the importance of the hemp uh, plant and the hemp fiber. They treated it with great respect. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very labor oriented. And so one of the first things I quickly figured out is that that would never work in North America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, the labor, the attitude was just very different. Um, at the same time, the second realization I had was that this would be ideal for uh, AI driven um, hemp stock processing. Mm-hmm. And the reason was because it's very much focuses on productivity, but it also provides a great deal of processing and production flexibility. Uh And that is something that when you are trying to get the value of the fiber out of a plant, where you don't know exactly what you're going to get before you process, um, it's a very, very useful capability and feature to have. Uh So um, anyways, I came back, wrote the report, and then uh, the next day, I uh, founded and uh, incorporated Canadian Industrial <laughs> Hemp Corporation. So that was seven years ago. And wow. um, I have been working with my son, JJ, for the last seven years in terms of uh, moving this um, idea forward mm-hmm. and, you know, working to create a, uh, a piece of IP um, for this advanced manufacturing approach that uh, you know, we've envisioned, uh, so that we would have the benefit of the IP in terms of our financing. Mm-hmm. Um, in my years, I mean, I've come to appreciate that people love innovation, but generally they're afraid of innovation. Mm-hmm. And from that point of view, you know, with some IP at least attached to it, it shows them that there's a greater opportunity and perhaps they pay a bit more attention while you're explaining it to them. Mm-hmm. So. Um, From that, uh, I retained uh, an engineer uh, in Alberta. Uh, The engineer had been the actual individual who had specced, installed, and operated Alberta's 
hemp research facility for 11 years. Wow. And he had recently uh, chosen to leave the government and uh, go into the private sector as an engineering consultant. So I retained him and uh, we worked together to create um, what I would consider to be a pragmatic and practical process uh, for um, processing the hemp stock more effectively, finding a way to do it more flexibly, mm-hmm. um, and essentially to lower the cost of production and um, you know maximize uh, the, the volume through increasing the productivity. Right. And, uh, you know, we spent about 18 months doing that. Uh, I then proceeded to get the, um, the patents moving forward. And subsequently, you know, we, we started to um, enter the hemp community and to learn what was going on uh, around the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the interesting things was that as the more that I learned about hemp, the more fascinated I became, the more committed I became to creating, you know, uh, an opportunity to see more hemp grown in the world. Mm-hmm. Because recognizing its unique abilities in terms of carbon sequestration, the fact that it can make a stronger, lighter, more durable, uh, more quickly biodegradable uh, substitutes to pure plastic products. Right. These things excited me and really made me recognize that this was something worthwhile pursuing and that there was a great opportunity in doing so. But I guess, Rebecca, what I really enjoyed was the challenge of creating something new. I think, you know, ultimately that Mm -hmm. is a part of what has always fascinated me about business. But, But I will tell you that, you know, the focus of creating our technology Um, was done with a very specific regard, as I said before, to being a low-cost producer. Mm. Um, For all intents and purposes, when you're creating hemp fiber from stock, you're creating commodity outputs. Mm -hmm. And having been in the commodity business for many years, I I understand and I instinctively know that uh, the problem with commodity products are that anybody can go into them. So you have a very unstable market, uh, which is always uh, or or usually creating more supply than demand. Mm -hmm. And it puts good quality suppliers at risk because, you know, it does cost more ultimately to create a consistent high quality output. Mm -hmm. And from that point of view, if, uh, if you're competing against people who are just creating output, um, ultimately, you know, it it just doesn't work out in the margins. So one of the things that we focused on when we were developing our technology was that we would move up the value chain. Mm -hmm. Rather than just being the producer, the processor of of the commodity outputs, we decided we would integrate directly into the secondary production where, again, by definition, we've moved up the value chain, we're entitled to higher margins. Mm-hmm. But because of our technology, we're able to combine the processing and the production together, nice. which gives you the ultimate quality control and the ultimate flexibility in order to create different products and maximize the value of your mm-hmm. input fiber. And so, you know, one of the things I've always said is that technology redefines economics, but the economics redefine the marketing. So the the net impact of what we've done has been that the margins that 
according to our analysis, we will be able to generate are up to 600 times on a dollar value what you would get with the same production technology without our um, IP, without our application system. Wow. So it redefines the economics to such a degree that it means that you are able to pay your farmers more. Mm -hmm. You're able to, at the same time to give your end users lower costs. Mm -hmm. And because we are very much data-driven by having a 100% digitally controlled facility, we are able to use um, advanced system technologies such as machine learning and predictive analysis so that we can actually optimize not only what we're producing today, but what we will need to produce tomorrow as we get a deeper understanding of our fiber. Wow. Get a deeper understanding of our yeah. fiber because part of our IP is the world's first and only hemp bass fiber quality control system. And what it uses is an advanced scanning technology, which allows us not to measure shape and size of fiber mm -hmm. per se, but rather allows us to measure the internal material characteristics mm -hmm. of the fiber itself. So we're able to measure for specific qualities, which, direct, which uh, identify strength wow. in the fiber. And we're able to identify different qualities which measure adhesion. The technology allows us to identify any color variations because, for example, if you're processing hemp fiber for textiles, having right. uniform color is a very important variable. Uh -huh. And lastly, what we are also able to identify is the moisture content within the fiber itself mm. so that that has two impacts. It identifies the degree of redding that has already taken place, the natural degradation of the fibers inside the stock, uh, making it easier and better quality decortication. And it also measures the, what's the other thing it measures? Um, oh yeah, it measures the performance productivity in terms of your manufacturing. If it's too wet, the fiber will just tear when you're trying to process it. Mm -hmm. And if it's too dry, well, our system identifies that with an, automatic, uh, an automated scanner and it automatically have a sprinkler line that adds additional moisture to kind wow. of uh, lubricate the fibers as we're processing it. So we have a very different paradigm in terms of the way that we approach the processing of hemp stock. What I like to say is that we're transforming hemp stock decortication into hemp fiber optimization. Wow. So taking with the system that you have and taking the hemp fiber um, and then processing it, you're able to identify um, the end application depending on the qualities that your AI is uncovering and, and the data that you're getting. So you're able to kind of Okay, well, essence, this fiber is going to go for, for this end product, and this can go well, here. Well, we do it a little differently, because okay. what we do is that we automatically scan the fiber when it gets brought to the facility. Okay. And we do that because we want to know the characteristics before we process. Oh, that makes and sense. And that's what we do. Uh, so then we characterize... We have a blockchain registry that runs right through our entire system. And the data from each bale 
is analyzed and stored in the blockchain. That data ends up being matched to the specific uh, specifications, to the specifications which we have agreed to, to provide to our large end users by mm. contract. So then we simply let the system match up the bales that fulfill the specific needs to the specific needs of the end user. Wow. So where are we at right now as far as the raw materials and, and getting it to, you know, from the farm to processing it and then to getting it into the marketplace? Um, you know, where are the, where do you see are the biggest challenges in that whole process? Well, first of all, we, we have to be clear if you're talking through the whole process. I mean, you've got a very broad market to you know, put that into context. With. In our particular case, we're focused very much on what I call the bioplastic capital B, capital P uh, market. Okay. And I identify bioplastic in that sense as biocomposites and bioplastic with a small b and a small p. So uh, biocomposite plastics are made with oil-based polymers. Bioplastics by themselves are made with natural vegetable-based uh, polymers. Mm -hmm. Now, the point of the matter is whenever you are putting the hemp fiber into the um, composite polymers known as plastics, that's what actually gives it the strength. Right. In fact, I have something here, which I will just show you because I happen to have it right next to me. Yay. So this, for example, is a container and it's made out of plastic and it's most likely a, a polypropylene. It could be even a polyethylene. Uh -huh. But what I'm trying to show is without much effort, it's highly pliable. Right. Here is a container that we made using our biocomposite pellet formulation. And I can tell you that putting in all of my strength, I'm able to deflect it much less. Yeah. And, and whether you're putting that into an oil-based polymer, known as plastic, mm -hmm. or a vegetable-based polymer, known as plastic, it's going to make it stronger. Uh -huh. And so, at what uh, percentage can you get the the hemp material into those products? It really depends on the specific applications and what they're being used for. In some applications, you could go up to forty percent hemp fiber. Mm -hmm. Now, the one that I showed you there was twenty percent hemp fiber. Okay. But let me give you some specifications and numbers that might be interesting. Mm -hmm. Last year, in 2021, the global consumption of pure composite polymers with um, synthetic add or additives such as calcium carbonate or talc made into products, but the, just the polymers represented 400 million tons and were worth $400 billion. Wow. So now... The compound annual growth expected um, in that particular market is about four and a half percent. So rough and dirty over the next five years, about 17 million tons per year in total production. Huh. 
Now, out of the 400 million tons of polymer that are made, 50% of those polymers, about 200 million tons, would be able to be compounded with hemp fibers, hemp and other natural fibers. Mm -hmm. And so the point is that by taking even 10% of that 200 million and replacing it with the hemp fibers, mm -hmm. you would be stopping the growth and you would be replacing 20 million tons a year. So 17 million growth, replacing 20 million, you'd have a $3 million, uh, 3 million, ton, 3 million ton surplus. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you compare that to natural bioplastics, the entire market for natural bioplastics made from vegetable uh, crops is about 10 million tons a year. No, I'm sorry, it's about, it's about 60 million tons a year, which, no, it's, it is about 10 million tons a year. 10 million, 10 million compared to, what was the other number? 400 million. 400 million, 10 million compared to 400 million. Yes, and, and the natural bioplastics cost anywhere from five to 10 times as much. Right, so but it's not getting into the market. Well, it, uh, th there's a number of reasons. First of all, much like corn and ethanol, you know, people don't like to see products that could be made, grown for food, made for industrial products. Mm. Um, so the reality is that, oh yeah, the, the one important thing I wanted to also add about our technology is when we were developing it with the engineer, mm -hmm. It was determined from the beginning that all of the technologies, equipment, systems, and platforms that we would put into the system would be proven in existence in application in other processing or manufacturing environments. They would all be large scale and automated. And the reason, of course, is because, again, it's a new technology. People are always afraid of well, what if this doesn't work or that doesn't work? Well, the point is all of these pieces have been proven to work. <laughs> so what we're doing is, and part of our IP is, the way that we put it together is what makes it our intellectual property. Amazing. Sounds awesome. So, you know, from the progress that you've made over this past seven years and um, where you guys are going now, what what is your vision for 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 you guys and then for the market as a whole to going as far as going more into um hemp bioplastics well let me say first of all that it's my belief that the hemp industry the hemp opportunity is going to be huge i think it's going to be way bigger than most people expect. You know, I, I constantly hear, you know, why is it taking so long? It hasn't <laughs> taken so long. It's taken four years for an industry that was basically locked away from it for, you know, 75. Very true. And, and Canada did make some efforts, but at the same time, you know, in order to grow uh, a global opportunity, there had to be a global, global supply and so when the uh, U.S. with their farm bill changed their rules along with some of the countries in South America, um, you know, suddenly there was, there was an opportunity for hemp to be uh, modernized. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, you know, from a biocomposite point of view, you know, here's how I see it. The bioplastic, the, the composite polymer plastic industry is a commodity industry. Basically, you're taking a hot uh, plastic or hot polymer with additives added for stiffness and different characteristics, and you're molding it into specific um, product applications. Mm-hmm. Now, the truth of the matter is that because what it relies on is having uh, the best equipment that gives you the highest productivity and the greatest quality control. Mm-hmm. So if you go um, online and check the largest composite polymer thermoplastic companies and compounders, you will see that generally they work on about an 18% um, operating margin. Now, 85% of their total revenue is their cost of goods sold, and about 80% of their total cost of goods sold are their um, material costs. Because what else would your material cost be if you're in the, in the extrusion or the injection molding business? It's going to be labor mm-hmm. to actually execute, and right. it's going to be the cost of your material. Well, because it's um, a commodity, it has to be highly competitive. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is a large producer may take or may be quoting on a five or $10 million project, and they could lose that entire project for 50000 or $100,000. Right. Now, because they're working on a 7% net profit, if you can reduce their cost of materials by 10%, that means that you're reducing 10% of 85%, mm-hmm. reducing the overall cost by 8.5%. Mm-hmm. Now, the way I look at it is when one large producer takes a contract and he understands that he was 5 or 6 or 7% higher in cost than somebody else who offered a biocomposite product, which could achieve the same um, engineering characteristics and they could still be a cost savings, what will happen is the rest of the industry will quickly follow suit because the alternative is for them to go out of business. Mm-hmm. The, there is just a, such a disruptive difference in the cost dynamic of being able to produce these biocomposite products that I believe that once the first large supply enters the marketplace, it will become very commonplace shortly thereafter. Right. And there will be a huge impact and opportunity um, on the whole issue of, um, you know, plastics being continuing to grow uh, in, in, their, in their market presence. Mm-hmm. I think it will make a, a tremendous difference. And, and the other thing that I would like to mention is that on a personal note, I also believe that bioengineering, biomaterial engineering over the next 10 to 15 years is going to transform even oil-based polymers as we know them today to being 
um, capable of natural biodegradation. And that's already starting to take place. Mm -hmm. So I look at it and say, focusing on the biocomposites is the right short-term solution because while everybody's trying to figure out how to make only bioplastics because they do biodegrade much more quickly mm -hmm. but the time being lost on the biocomposite development side is too critical at this point mm -hmm. if you think about it 17 million tons of growth a year takes you from four to 500 million right. in about five years right in other words, you're growing 25% every five years. So the numbers that you start to see are really staggering. So where's the balance, you know, from the process of what's happening as far as climate change and, you know, trying to do things uh, more natural versus honoring the process of, of where we've come and what we need to do to do our due diligence to get to a healthier, you know, place in the way that we produce things. Uh, you know, listen, Rebecca, I mean, it's the old, old, it's the old adage, you've got to walk before you run. Right. And, and, and the problem is, sure, I mean, and that's why I, I consider us to be in the capital bio, capital P-L-A-S-T-I-K, uh -huh. because our process to create these fiber pellets, which become the critical components in making biocomposite pellets. Right will work with oil-based polymers or with vegetable-based polymers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's awesome. the difference. I'm not saying that one should be ignored. They uh -huh. both should be pursued, but they shouldn't be pursuing bioplastics only right. uh, because they're saying, so, you know, I've been asked, okay, so how quickly does a, a regular plastic product biodegrade? The answer is anywhere from 400 to 600 years. Mm -hmm. But then the question was, okay, what about a biocomposite? I said, well, being optimistic, probably somewhere between 60 and 100 years. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, what good is that? I say, well, it's much better than 600 years. <laughs> yeah. And again, the, the numbers that I gave you before, that's the critical thing. Yeah. Its importance is that people are not going to switch overnight from paying $1,000, $1,500 a ton <laughs> it's like for oil-based polymers to jump into natural-based polymers right. at five to 10000 a ton. It's like you have a big cake. You can't take one bite and eat the whole thing. You have to exactly. take exactly. little bites out of it. <laughs> right. So, awesome. you know, that's kind of, uh, you know, that's, that's our take on things that, you know, we think that we can make a difference and by being that much more cost effective, uh, we can, you know, if, if we were only to be able to save a, a producer 3%, mm -hmm. you know, people might be more resistant. But the truth of the matter is that 97% of the large um, composite polymer compounders and thermoplastic producers, 97%, already have all the equipment they would need hmm. they're uh, they're already working with the exact same equipment that right. would that would take to do the uh biocomposite polymers rather than uh, the pure composite polymer plastics yeah yeah amazing well robert it's been such a pleasure you're such a wealth of information as far as like you know, knowing the facts and the numbers, which I think in our conversation before we said was very important. If we really want to be successful 
in business, then we have to know, you know, our numbers. And maybe we can end with, with this question too, that you can give a little bit of insights and maybe some encouragement to other, other entrepreneurs in hemp and really um, what are some of your tips to make sure that you have the right processes to be successful? Well, well, you know, first of all, you know, one of the things that I, that I would say is that um, if I was a small hemp processor, um, I would take very close look at what the most applicable, best use of the type of fiber that I produce, um, what market it would be best used for. Then I would try and find a small scale um, or, or somebody who would work with me in terms of uh, marketing and distributing the product. Mm -hmm. I think these types of collaborations um, are going to be very important for the smaller scale producers um, of yeah. hemp uh, products, regardless of what they are. And by working, um, you know, with a, with a joint um, perspective, with a joint goal, mm -hmm. I think that they'll both end up um, doing a better job uh, financially and in terms of uh, fulfilling customer needs and expectations. Yeah. That would be the biggest thing. Um, I think that the other thing that I've, I've written about and, and spoken to people about is beware of low-hanging fruit. Beware of the um, easy markets um, that at first glance might appeal very strong and appealing. One mm -hmm. of them right now is uh, the creation of the hemp herd for hemp crete uh, and also for animal bedding. Mm -hmm. uh, they're both wonderful applications. The, the only thing is that, again, as more and more people get attracted to these um, attractive markets, right. eventually the demand overpowers, the, the, the supply overpowers the demand and the prices start to get pushed down very quickly. I came from that world in the lumber industry. Mm. So I'm very sensitive to it. Right. It really causes uh, any entrepreneur a huge amount of stress and consideration along the way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that would be my second point. Beware of low-hanging fruit. Mm. And just lastly, again, in that, in that vein, Rebecca, I'd like to uh, invite anybody from the hemp industry who'd like to get you know, uh, some additional information or perspective, um, whatever I can do to help uh, throughout the industry to get to see more hemp being grown, more demand for hemp to be grown. Uh, you know, I, I'm very, very happy to contribute to that in any way I can. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's been Rebecca, lovely. Thank you. It was a pleasure and an honor. Uh, I appreciate your considering me. <laughs> thank you, Robert. Thank you for listening to Hemp Foundation Talks. Hemp Foundation is a nonprofit social enterprise on a mission to provide solutions for our current ecological crisis. Hemp Foundation and their brand, Uki, has created a value chain from village farms to the marketplace. Utilizing the many benefits of hemp to overcome deforestation, fight plastic pollution, and support regenerative practices to heal our earth. The foundation supports over 250 small village farmers in the Indian Himalayan region. In addition, they employ widows and women in the production of over 500 hemp products for the marketplace. From clothing, to food, to hemp bags, a large range of textiles, embroidered fabrics, home goods, and even hemp bioplastic. To learn more, visit hempfoundation.net.